Welcome to today's episode of Transformation Talks. I am your host, Sam Forget, and today we're going to talk all things accountability, because I would argue that there are very few topics in the health and fitness space that are as wildly misunderstood as accountability and a dead giveaway that somebody doesn't fully understand what they're talking about when it comes to accountability is if they say any version of, I just need to do a better job of holding myself accountable. Or if they're giving advice telling you, you just need to hold yourself accountable to your decision making. Because by definition, when we're looking at what accountability actually means, we're looking at being expected or required to justify our actions or decisions. And if we're looking inward, if we're looking at holding ourselves accountable, we can't really do that. Because in those moments when you're questioning whether or not to go to the gym and you're sitting on your couch after a long day at work, and in theory, this is the time to hold yourself accountable, who are you justifying those decisions to? It's not like you have a clone of yourself sitting next to you on the couch that's pushing you to get up and go to the gym. You just don't go to the gym and nothing happens because you don't have to justify it to anybody. And let's say you're in the cupboard at two o'clock in the morning and you're pounding donuts, which to be clear is something that I have done and thoroughly enjoyed. It's not like there's another version of you sitting eight feet across the kitchen saying, hey, Sam, you may want to second guess this. I don't know if you'll you'll be proud of this decision in the morning, if you're going to feel good. So you can see why the idea of holding yourself accountable in the moments where it matters most is typically wildly ineffective. An effective accountability source needs to be external because, again, we have to justify or explain our decisions to somebody else. And the reason I kind of want to pick apart the word justify is because that tends to sound a little harsh. I would never talk to a client who had a not so great weekend of eating and say, justify your decisions to me, because that sounds horrible. That's mean and scary and evil. And I don't want that for everybody. So when I say justify, I say it loosely, just being expected to supply information to or explain your thought processes to just getting somebody or something else involved. So you're not left to your own vices, because our own vices are typically highly unmotivated and likely to justify every not great decision. All this said, I'm not all gloom and doom today. I have some really valuable information for you, and that is six different types of external accountability sources that you can turn to in the moments when you are feeling least motivated, least driven to make decisions that are in line with your goals, least driven to make any sort of consistent, meaningful change. These are the six sources that you can turn to. And before I actually go ahead and explain them, there are two things I want to point out. Number one is that your responsiveness to each source might look a little bit different than mine, your friends, your partners, your coworkers, and that's okay. Some people respond really well to financial accountability. They spend 10 bucks a month on a Planet Fitness gym membership, and they're like, got to get my ass to the gym. I don't want to waste that. I know other people who spend 1000 or 2000 a month in coaching and consulting and do literally nothing with it. Financial accountability is just not a big driver. Same goes for, say, personal accountability. I know somebody who would not be caught dead letting somebody else down. So if I tell you know, John Smith, I'm going to be at the gym at 6 o'clock and John Smith expects that, there's no effing way I'm missing that because they're going to be disappointed in me. I know other people who couldn't give less of a crap about that. And none of this is right. None of it is wrong. Again, our responsiveness to each source is going to look a little bit different. So as I'm going through these, don't scoff at any one source that you feel like won't move the needle for you because there's likely another one that will. 
Something else to consider before I explain these is that our responsiveness to each one of these sources will not only differ from each other, but they'll also differ over time. So maybe early in your journey, a $10 a month Planet Fitness membership or $200 a month meal prep service is something that really does move the needle for you. But maybe your financial position changes. You get a little bit more comfortable. All of a sudden, that two, three, even four, five hundred plus a month that once really drove you to make some sort of change in your life doesn't do that anymore. And now social accountability, being part of a community, is something you respond well to. All this said, between the varying levels of responsiveness, person to person, and in different seasons of life, that's why I'm a huge advocate of getting as many external accountability sources in place as possible. Yes, let me try that again. As possible at all times, because the last thing you want to do, the thing that is guaranteed to be ineffective, is just aimlessly hoping to hold yourself accountable. Because one last time, by definition, when we're looking at accountability, we're looking at being required or expected to justify our actions or decisions, and we can't do that with ourselves. So without further ado, let's get into the first source of external accountability, and that is what's called quantitative accountability. So quantitative accountability, straightforward, it's numerically based. This is where we're looking at maybe our calorie and protein intake, our body weight averages, our measurements, our workout performances as sources of external feedback that give us a little bit of insight into what our decision making has been. So I could sit here and claim I'm eating really healthy, I'm doing everything I can to lose weight. But if my body weight averages and measurements aren't changing, then I know that there's some stone that I'm not turning over. So again, we get this great feedback and that's awesome. And people will argue, well, isn't this the same as holding yourself accountable? Because I can track all that stuff myself. I don't need a friend or family member or app to look at that. Technically speaking, yes. But in my experience in about 10 years now of working with hundreds of people on a very intimate level, people tend to shy away from these numbers when they don't like the numbers. So the most common examples of this, I missed a couple workouts in a row. So I'm going to stop tracking my workout completion percentage. I felt really weak in the gym. I'm just not going to record my sets and reps that day. I had a big meal. I was out with my wife last night and I really overdid it. I'm not putting that in my fitness pal. I have no idea what I had. I'm just going to start fresh tomorrow. Or I ate really big last night. I don't want to step on the scale. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't want to step on the scale this morning and see what the damage is, which is a topic in itself and it's just water weight, but I digress. So you can see why and how in the moments where it really matters to have that numerical feedback and to have that quantitative accountability in place, if we don't have somebody else or somebody else, or said that twice, somebody or something else to submit these numbers to, it's far less likely that we'll maximize this source. So yeah, I guess in theory, there are people who can use quantitative accountability on their own and do well. I would argue that those are in the, the extreme minority of people and that most people, unfortunately, I'd say it's human nature though, will shy away from the numbers if they don't like the numbers. So that is the first source, quantitative accountability, which is essentially just numerical feedback. Source number two is social accountability. So before I explain it, some short examples or some quick examples, I should say, are starting a group chat with friends and family members. I work with a lot of nurses. And at one point I was working with three nurses at one time who were all friends and they all had their individualized plans for me and their personalized check-ins for me. But they also started a group chat on the side to swap recipes, to push each other to get to the gym, to push each other to make good food choices. So not only did they have 
personal accountability with me, which is something we'll talk about soon, financial accountability with their investment and coaching, but they also had this social component, something community-based where there are other people who either share similar goals, uh, similar struggles, similar wins. I'll also see this in the group coaching programs that I run, which historically several hundred women have done. We're looking at anywhere between 30 to 50 women per group. So if you're in a small community of 35, 40 plus other people who have the same obstacles as you, the same desires as you, the same or similar plan as you, you're more likely to follow through because you want to maybe carry your weight. You want to inspire others. You're possibly inspired by other people in this community. So you can see why social accountability can be so powerful. I would say the other most and kind of uh, last most common one that you'll see is something with coworkers. Unfortunately, the most common example of uh, health-based, I say health loosely here, challenges in a work setting is some sort of weight loss challenge where it's who can lose the biggest percent of their body weight in the next 10 weeks. But when you do things like this, it tends to encourage not so sustainable behaviors, uh, to say the least, and water manipulation and occasionally cheating, things like that. So if you do something with your coworkers, with your team, with your employees, I would encourage you to do something habit-based. So maybe everybody has to drink a certain amount of ounces of water every day or go for a walk first thing in the morning or have a certain amount of vegetables per day, something that is very addition-based, positive, empowering, realistic for everybody. And when you add that social component of knowing everybody in your office, everyone on your team, all of your employees are doing it, you're much more likely to follow through. The next accountability source is also perhaps the most misunderstood. It's deadline-based because you'll hear me and a lot of other coaches say, you shouldn't put a timeline on things. You don't want to say, I want to lose... 30 pounds in six weeks, because similar to the weight loss challenge in the office, it's likely going to encourage some pretty unsustainable habits. But you can use some deadlines to your advantage. And the thing that immediately comes to mind for me is, or I should say the person, is my sister. Because at the time of recording this, I think she's five or six years into her running journey now. But I think back to when she first started and signed up for uh, the New York Marathon. So she had that on her calendar. That is an external deadline that is theoretically non-negotiable unless she just dropped out of the race altogether. But she had a little skin in the game where she obviously invested in the race. She had public accountability, which we'll talk about in a second, where you share your journey with others. And then you have that deadline on maybe the days that she didn't necessarily want to go on a run. It's like, well, tough shit. I'm now 12 weeks out from this race. I need to follow through with that. So having a performance-based outcome can be really helpful, whether it's a 5K, whether it's a marathon, and you're feeling a little more ambitious like my sister, whether you are looking at a 5K, I already said that, uh, a powerlifting meet, whether you're looking at a strongman competition, even like a walkathon, like it doesn't have to be anything overly extreme, just something that is on the calendar, non-negotiable. Some others that are a little bit more of a slippery slope, but potentially powerful for some people would be uh, a family vacation, a family photo shoot, something that's a little more aesthetic. The reason I say these are a slippery slope is I don't want anybody in the mindset where they're not vacation ready or photo shoot ready or beach ready if they're not in an arbitrary body fat percentage, because that's not the case at all. I want somebody to feel confident all the time. You don't have to be seven and a half percent body fat to feel that way. 
That said, if you just want to dial things in a little bit for you, not because of mainstream pressure, not because of family or familial, I should say, or friend-based pressure, that's great. And we should empower that. And maybe knowing that you have a, you know, a beach vacation in 12 weeks, you want to feel your best on the beach. And that's great. And as long as your process is very non-extreme, very sustainable, that can be a powerful driver as well. Another way that you can use the calendar to your advantage is setting minimum commitments to stuff. So here we are talking about deadlines as like a hard end date for something, but we can also use it as a start date for something. For example, you might say, well, before I dive into another four to five day per week workout program, or before I try counting calories again, I'm going to commit to doing three full body workouts per week at home and having a protein and vegetable with every meal. And I'm going to do that. I forget what I just said, maybe for the next four weeks or maybe for the next 30 days, I'm going to earn the right to the next phase of this, which may be four workouts that are upper, lower, upper, lower and gym based. And I'm going to introduce calorie counting or something similar to that. So again, you can use the calendar in a really empowering way. I just don't recommend, or really any coach wouldn't recommend that it be, I need to lose this many pounds by this date, because that's just not going to work in your favor. Next accountability source, financial accountability. So as we already talked about a little bit, people's responsiveness to this will certainly vary. I do know people who have the $10 a month Planet Fitness membership and they're like, well, I ain't wasting that. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to the gym. And I know other people who have six gym memberships and do absolutely nothing with it. The commonality here, the thing that has to drive or that's required to drive somebody to make the most of their investment is typically a when there are other accountability sources in place, like you've invested with maybe a personal trainer, a specific person that you also don't want to let down on top of not just wasting your money. But it also has to be just enough of a financial or monetary investment that you feel a little bit uncomfortable with it. And I'm hesitant to say that because I never want people to think it's coming from a sales perspective that's like, you need to spend more if you want to take action. That's not the case at all. But if you're investing an amount that you really don't give that much of a, a shit about, it's unlikely that you're going to do anything with it. So it may be a case where you budgeted, we use a hypothetical three to four, even 500 a month for a coach, which is very middle ground at the time of recording this in the industry. But knowing that in your last experience with a coach, that wasn't really enough to drive you. Maybe you look at getting a coach that you have a deeper connection with. So we do have that personal accountability and maybe investing just a little bit more. I know plenty of people who offer, let's say $6,000 90-day programs, which sounds asinine to some people. Why would I spend that? I can find all this information online. Well, the more you pay, the more you pay attention. And you better believe that as the investment goes up, your level of like effort buy-in wise also goes up. So again, I never want this to sound like insensitive or monetarily privileged or I'm like spend as much as possible, but know that if you're spending just enough, not to put you in a state of financial insecurity, but just enough to make you mildly uncomfortable where you're second guessing, swiping your card a little bit, it's almost definitely going to result in you taking more consistent action. But this will fluctuate a little bit for everyone over time. Other investments, actually, before we move on to public accountability, which is the next one. 
isn't necessarily just a coach or service. It could be uh, meal prep services. It could be a grocery delivery service. It could be a photo shoot deposit. It could be an event like my sister's marathon. So there are other things you can do to have a little bit of skin in the game. And actually one final, final thing before I move on to public accountability is a reverse bet. And if you followed me for any amount of time, you know that I absolutely love these. And a reverse bet is a bet with some sort of financial consequence for not following through. So one that I've used before with my friend Tina, when I want to do something habit-based, like I'm going to wake up every day and start working at 5 a.m. for the next 30 days. And if I don't, and I've given Tina this money in advance, I want you to submit this to the IRS. Like whatever the most unspeakable thing is that you just do not want to do at all, that's what a reverse bet is. So maybe there's a political party that you're not particularly fond of. You give enough money that you'd actually care about. So let's say 100, 200, 500,000 for some people. You give it to a friend that or family member that you know can be vicious when you really need them to be and say, hey, there are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If I blow this, if I don't follow through with my commitment, I need you to send this money to so-and-so, this political party, the IRS, whatever you don't want to send money to. And trust me when I say that will light a fire under your butt. So you can see how multifaceted financial accountability is. Next one we're looking at is public accountability. So some examples of public accountability would be announcing whatever your challenges or goal is on social media, which is not meant to be done in like a braggadocious way. It's like, look what I plan on doing, because some people do that to kind of get the praise in advance. But just mentioning training for a 5K, had a good run today, because now there are other people at least mildly invested in what you're doing. They're mildly invested in your journey toward whatever that goal is. And not that people will lose sleep if you drop out of your training for your 5K race or if you don't reach your hydration goal, but you don't want to be seen as a flake. You don't want to be seen as somebody who doesn't follow through with their commitments, which is where that public accountability can be so powerful. Another example of this would be group exercise classes. And while I do not like them for body transformations, which again is a topic for another episode, I do like them for the community aspect. We're looking at both social and public accountability there, where if you're regularly going to say uh, a spin class or a boot camp, you develop that community. There are other people going back to social accountability who share similar struggles. They're after similar goals. That's great. That's powerful. And then from a public accountability perspective, you're leaving your house and going to that gym or even at the time of recording this, a lot of people are still working from home, not comfortable in a gym. Maybe you're just on a group Zoom call that can still be public accountability and that there are other people aware of what you're doing. Maybe you share with your coworkers what you're doing as well. That's another source of public accountability. So you can see how a lot of these don't necessarily operate in isolation. So when you have financial accountability, it's more powerful than this personal accountability. When you're announcing on social media what your goals are, it's helpful when you have community accountability on the back end. So as many of these in place as possible is always going to be your best bet. Last source of accountability, number six, and arguably the most powerful for the vast majority of people, I would say either this or financial accountability, would be personal accountability. Having to justify your decisions to somebody that you have some sort of connection with, somebody that you do not want to disappoint. So the most common examples of this, or example, I should say, is obviously having a coach and ideally a coach that you have a relationship with. If I can throw a little bit of a jab toward the industry for a second, something you'll want to stay away from is working with a coach who allows you to sign up without ever actually speaking to you. I see this so often. You go to somebody's website. It's like, apply now. Congrats, you're an online client. 
You don't know my dieting history. You don't know what my specific goals are. You don't know what my obstacles are. How can you possibly care about me and how I'm doing? So that is a red flag to watch out for, whether you're looking for a fitness coach, a nutrition coach, a personal trainer, anything like that. You want to be able to have some sort of connection with somebody because if you don't, you don't care about disappointing them. I once worked with a coach who you know, it was very clear uh, within a couple of weeks of working with them. My plan was not personalized at all. I was just a name on what was likely a very, very lengthy uh, client roster. And if that was my expectation going into it, that's fine. That's not the end of the world. Some people are very comfortable with a hands-off, uh, non-personalized approach. But when we're looking at personal accountability and what drives people to do better, having that connection with the coach is really powerful. So I think of specific people that I've worked with, Matt Mills, who is a former guest on this podcast, professional strongman, elite powerlifter, gym owner. He was somebody I looked up to in the strength space, somebody that I did not want to disappoint. Again, not that he'd lose sleep over me missing a deadlift workout, but I don't want to check in with him on Sundays and be like, hey, I didn't do my workout because I didn't feel motivated to, or I didn't hit my protein goal because cooking chicken takes too long. That's not something you want to say. You want to honor your word. You want to follow through. You want to not let this person down. They're sticking their neck out for you in some capacity. They're putting effort into designing you a plan. You want to make sure that you're actually getting the most of that if we look at the financial component. But then we also want to make sure that that personal connection is strong enough to drive consistent action. Personal accountability does not just have to be with coaching, though, although that is often very powerful because it provides multiple sources of external accountability. I also think about my longtime friend, uh, Matthew Glebus. He would not me, he would not mind, I should say, me mentioning him on this, where I have trained with him for the last on and off various workouts, different programs for the last 10 years or so. It's a shared love of ours, a mutual interest. And you better believe when Matt and I get after it, I go a little bit harder because he's somebody that I admire. He always works extremely hard and everything in life. He expects a lot out of me when we're working out. So even though there's no financial skin in the game, that's a source of personal accountability, just like a workout partner that you really get up for that drives you and not a workout partner that's going to let you skip lower body workouts and Bulgarian split squats because they're hard and they hurt somebody who actually pushes you. So to recap, six sources of accountability in no particular order quantitative. This is numerically driven. This is having your numbers tracked in some capacity. Social, having a community of people who share similar struggles, a similar process, who are after a same thing, the same thing or a similar thing as you. Deadline-based, having something on your calendar that is non-negotiable that you are working toward that's going to give you feedback as to whether or not you actually pushed toward a specific goal. Financial accountability, having some skin in the game, remembering the more you pay, the more you pay attention. Source number five, public accountability, making your goals known, not in like a braggadocious way, like I said, but just putting it on social media, telling your coworkers about it, letting other people know what you're up to and what you're after. And lastly, and arguably the most important one, we're looking at personal accountability, having to justify, and again, I say justify loosely, your decision making to somebody who has a vested interest in your journey, somebody who cares how you're doing, somebody who puts effort into your process, somebody that you don't want to let down. It's also worth repeating that your responsiveness to each of these is going to vary over time and it will vary person to person. So right now, for me personally, I can say that personal accountability, at the risk of sounding redundant, 
is the thing that really moves the needle for me. When I hire a coach, I do my due diligence. I look into somebody that I could actually hang out with outside of the coaching dynamic. And when they put their time and effort and expertise into creating a plan, I don't want to blow it off. I want to follow through with that plan. Another big driver for me would be public accountability. So when I post to my uh, social media accounts, when I'm emailing to my list, when I'm writing an article about, when I'm recording a podcast about something I'm trying to do, I don't want to seen as, be seen as a flake. I don't want to be the guy who doesn't follow through with my commitments because here I am telling other people to follow through with their commitments. And these are the things that really drive me right now. We're looking at personal and public, but maybe eventually having a specific deadline in place. Like if I get back into powerlifting or strongman, that would drive me more, maybe along with quantitative accountability. So don't quit at the first sign of non-responsiveness to any one of these sources your best bet by far, though, will be having as many of these sources in place. And shameless plug here, anytime you're working with a coach, you are going to have several of these sources in place. You're going to have quantitative where you are maybe submitting your uh, weekly bodyweight averages, your monthly measurements, your calorie and protein intake to a coach who can then assess and intelligently adjust your plan. Social accountability can be worked in with a coach if there are other people in a small group setting, if you are being connected with other people on a similar journey. Deadline-based, if you have specific habit challenges. For example, with my clients, we use something called the primer period where, and this has been great, I I recently introduced this into my coaching process where I don't quote unquote let somebody diet until they have had baseline healthy habits when we're looking at stress management, sleep quality, uh, food quality, activity consistency for a minimum of three to six weeks. So deadlines don't just have to be weight-based by a certain amount of time. Financial accountability with a coach is obviously having a little skin in the game, investing in somebody else's time and knowledge and expertise. Public accountability, if you decide to share your journey and your coaching investment with somebody else, friends, family, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm working on right now. And obviously, personal accountability when you have somebody who is frequently checking in with you. So coaching in general tends to be the highest yield investment because you're looking at at a minimum three to four of these six sources of accountability. And if you want, you could get a full five or six. But even if you don't invest in coaching, because I don't want this to be a totally shameless plug, you can still get a lot of these accountability sources on your own when you're involving other people, when you're making even smaller monetary investments into meal prep services, 5Ks, uh, personal training sessions, things like that. But whatever you do, if you leave this podcast episode with one non-action step in a way, it would be to stop looking to hold yourself accountable. I cannot stress enough that is not logistically possible. That will do nothing for you in the moments when you need it the most, in the moments when you are the least motivated and ready to rationalize every single poor decision to yourself. That process would end up being very, very different. That rationalization would be very different if you're now justifying those decisions elsewhere. If you know somebody's going to check in on you, if you know you have to show up to a class the next day, if you know there's an app you have to submit your numbers on, you're always going to do better. So my challenge to you as we wrap up today is to assess these six sources of accountability that went o- that I went over and make sure you have as many of them in place, ideally, especially the ones that you know you're going to respond extra well too. 
And last thing we'll close with here is if you feel like you got a little, a lot out of this episode, if you enjoyed it, if you feel like it changed your perspective on accountability, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a rating or review for the episode so other people can get access to similar information. Thank you so much. 